God forbid, Lord, no such thing shall ever happen to you. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an obstacle to me. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Or what can one give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in his Father's glory, and then he will repay all according to his conduct. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, I told you last week when I mixed last week's Gospel and this week that Peter, just after he had been praised by Jesus and told that, uh, that no mere man had told him that uh, Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that his Heavenly Father told him, and then he said, now you are Peter. I'll call you Peter, for you are the rock on which I'll build my church. And he must have been just a little bit puffed up, I would think. And then, just verses after that, we have this passage, when Jesus said that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer at the hands of the chief, the high priests, and the elders, and then be killed, and then raised up on the third day. And Peter blurted out, I guess the rock was speaking already, no, this could never happen to you. And then Jesus says these most startling words, as I mentioned last week, get behind me, Satan. I think they're the strongest words he ever says in the Gospels, any of them. Get behind me, Satan. And then we have Jeremiah today, who's, uh, who's in a boxing match with God. Can you imagine? Uh, of course, when Jeremiah was young, and I'm assuming somewhere between 14 and 20 in that age bracket, he was beginning to feel the call to become a prophet. And of course, God, um, in those days, it, you know, we, we didn't have movies or any kind of things that could imagine this well, so you had to tell it in a story. So I don't know if God spoke to him directly and, or appeared to him. I, that's the language we get. But it's the way to visualize that he actually experienced the call. And we all do. We all I, I think that many of you felt called to marry the person you married. It was more than just love and attraction. It was that, but you felt a call. This is the one. And I especially think it's true, not having gone through the experience myself, but when someone is dating and has dated three, four, five persons, you know, over a period of years, and then the one, the one comes along. How do you know it's the one? And there's something that happens inside, I think, that you just know. We call that a call, a calling. So Jeremiah was experiencing a calling to be a prophet, but he didn't want to follow the call. And he argues with God. He says, no, I'm too young. I can't possibly do that. He says, you will do that. And I will put my words in your mouth, and you will speak what I give you to speak. So Jeremiah gives in and says, okay, I'll do it. But now he is angry at God. You duped me. What a thing to say to God. You duped me. You fooled me. You tricked me. You got me into this mess. It's your fault. But he says, I'm not going to speak your name again, ever. But then, right away, that call grabbed him. He said, uh, 
but it's like it's in my bones, I have to. I, I can't go on without saying your name. And he makes a full circle and comes back to God. Um, I suppose the second reading describes that well as a transformation, a transformation of mind and heart. And Jeremiah definitely went through it. I suppose all the prophets did. But most of them, or at least many of them, came to the point where they suffered, were rejected, were exiled from their own homeland, and some of them killed. So um, they knew what was possible for them, what was on their pathway. And that's precisely what Jesus teaches us through his experience, um, the pathway to the cross. And he sees it coming. I don't know even after he said what he said that the apostles understood a thing of what he said. I have to go to Jerusalem to be killed by the, the priests and the elders. What? And then, of course, and maybe this was the nagging thing deep down. Uh, here we just heard Peter say, you're the Messiah, the Christ. And they all thought, the Jews thought, when the Messiah, the Christ came, he was going to be a king from the line of David who would take over and free them from Rome, free them from their enemies, give them back the promised land, not take away their money to support Rome or other places, but give them back their land and rule them wisely and justly. And then this is what the king turns out to be. Not a king of power, but a king of empowering love. And he took it all the way to the cross. He preached it constantly, but he ended up on that cross, and he, he did exactly what he said all along. And after all of the rejection, pain, and suffering that led up to the, his bleeding to death on the cross, he said those words, Father, forgive them all. They know not what they do. And that is the transformation. Now, the truth is we all go through this. We all have crosses. Uh, maybe we don't identify them or connect them with the cross, but it is really the same thing. Jesus, as he came to the cross, realized, realized by the own transformation of his mind and heart and soul by his Father, that love was the only answer, the only way. How many people were born... Um, during, before the, the Second World War, and remember it, actually remember it. Anybody? Nobody's old enough here, huh? Okay, yeah, but how old were you? Four, yeah. Did you, re did you were you aware of it? Well, I suppose a little older, even 10 years older, you would have had horrific memories, and maybe your parents say things and all, but but there was, wasn't much television. Was there television yet? No, not even black and white. I was born in 50 and we had black and white. Everyone had black and white. Well, not everyone, but everyone who had one had black and white. It wasn't color until I think I was near 10, I think. And um, we, uh, you experienced it a bit, but I would say, and I have always said, I think I was born at the perfect time. Not because it was 1950 and that's, the, the middle of the century and all that, but that too. But missed the war, thanks be to God, it, it, how horrible and horrific that must have been to read the reports in the papers. The worst that we had was the Vietnam War, but that was far away, and it was limited to one country, and, and all the damage got really got done to anybody in that war, but 
definitely got done to that land and split the country in two and horrific results and the poor Vietnamese people that had to undergo all of that. And then uh, I think the closest thing is this Ukraine war that our kids can even, I mean, they see it on television every single night, in the paper every single day, something about the war. And, and so um, we see that. But I'll tell you, one of the things I think that was so special, being born around 50 and a little beyond, and a little before, Joe, I'll count you in, um, was all of the change that took place. I still say that, that we've experienced more change than anybody in the last 1,500 years, a technological change. Imagine watching a movie on your watch now if you want to. This is incredible. While you're in a plane in the air, watching it on your, on your arm. Um, uh, all the things. I, I just, well, I'll mention at the end of Mass, uh, asking you to participate in the extravaganza and buy a ticket this year. And so I, I, want, I just was wondering. So I said, hey, Siri, listen, say, hey, Siri. Um, how much is 25, because that's how much money comes back when we buy a ticket. How much is 25 times 200, hoping that, you know, that we get 200 people to do it. And come up right away, 5,000 in less than two seconds, 5,000. So then I tried uh, 300, and it was, I think it's 7,500, I forget now. But yeah, it must be, because it's. Um, and um, when could we do that before? I can ask for a translation of a word in any language, and it pops right up on my phone and will even speak it to me. We have experienced a lot, not to mention what we experience in the church. And I know some people, maybe even here, like the Latin Mass. I didn't. I mean, it was all we had at the time, so I liked it then. But if you ask me, Father, would you like to go back, or would you like to say a Latin Mass? And I say, heck no. I'm sure glad it's in English. Spanish is hard enough for me. Latin, forget it. I want to understand what I'm saying. I want to know what I'm saying or what I'm hearing. So, all these wonderful things, but I'll tell you one of the things that was maybe the most important, it wasn't the burning of bras, but that happened then too, it was the, the civil rights movement. And I think in this country we experienced something that still has reverberation, it hasn't taken full effect in us for sure, but it was extraordinary, and it was extraordinary that white people and Asian people and Latinos mixed in with the black people in those marches and, and, and this revolution that all men and women are, they are created equal. They are. Not that they should be. It's more that they already are. And that's how God sees us, but do we see each other that way? And there were many people, and per, per, perhaps most particularly Martin Luther King Jr., that, that spoke it. I just looked up um, his speech, the, the last speech he gave, um, you know, the, the dream speech, when he was dreaming that, that the day would come, that little black boys and girls would play with little white boys and girls, and, and that they would all get along and respect and love each other. And, um, and he said in that speech, I'm not sure I'm going to be here much longer. And I don't think I'm going to go into that promised land with you. And he, he maybe had a sense that the time was coming near. Maybe there were threats to many of them. I don't know. But the fact is that he was assassinated right after that, shortly after that. And I think to myself, he was, in our present day, 
He wasn't Catholic, but he was wonderfully Christian. And he was living this, the cross. He was living through the civil rights movement that idea of dying and rising, dying and rising. And this is so much the central mystery of our faith. If we don't get this, I'm sorry, we don't get it. We don't get who we are. And the truth is, you don't have to be a believer to die and rise. Dying and rising is just part of life. And when we face our struggles and our pain and our suffering and our rejection and all the other junk that can come into our lives, and we don't end up haters, we don't end up haters because, like I like to say, uh, life can make us, well, there's only two things it can do. It either makes us better or bitter. And sometimes people, as they go through life, and they get bitter and more bitter, and that bitterness adds to more bitterness, and they're like the walking dead. They're doing all the functioning, but, but there's no life inside. That's not who we are or who we are supposed to be. And the, the greatest gift and promise is right there before us in the person of Jesus. Those words are just so incredible. They're only in Luke, and I think there's some mystery around them. But, Father, forgive them all. They know not what they do. How do you love in a moment like that? Well, I think it's by embracing the cross. It's not just saying, yeah, I got a cross. I got to carry my cross. It's embracing the cross. It's loving as we're experiencing the cross. It's, it's being a person who shares the cross, and it doesn't make us disbelieve, but makes us trust and believe even more. And maybe one of the ways of accepting it and getting through it is to ask for the grace. God, fill me, love me, help me, because this cross is tough. Your love. Today, these scriptures, I think, are about transformation. And, and quite frankly, you know, I, I see a lot of resistance in people. I'm not saying in you, but, but as I read the paper and watch the news, a lot of people resist the struggles of life. They hate. And I'm thinking most particularly of all these mass murders, what happens to a person? We can just say they're crazy or something, I guess. We can write that off. But I think it's more than that. I think deep in their mind and spirit, like Paul says, need to be transformed in Christ, they begin to experience bitterness and hatred. And it grows. And it grows and it grows and it overcomes. And once it fills a person, fills their soul, I guess it's pretty easy. I don't understand it, but I suppose when one is filled with bitterness and hate, it's pretty easy to pick up a gun and start shooting people. I don't get it, but I see it all the time, almost daily now, almost daily. So. That is the reason, I think, the primary reason why we come here on Sunday. It's to continually be transformed by Christ, that we hear his message, we see the modeling of his life, and we say, that's who I am. I need to pick up my cross and follow. And when I pick up my cross and follow, he promises life.